الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونتوب اليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم وبعد Uh, as we know, I, I'm sure we've learned in this uh, gathering that La ilaha illallah is the key to paradise. Indeed, even this has been described in a hadith of the Prophet where he has said that Mishnah al-Jannah, La ilaha illallah. The key to paradise is La ilaha illallah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us for this statement. And He will judge us on this statement, whether we achieved it or not. However though, a, well, the earliest Muslims, the Prophet's companions, understood that this statement was not merely just a profession on the tongue, but that this statement also required certain beliefs, certain actions, in order for a person to achieve this testimony. Later Muslims, in later generations, thought and still believe that by merely saying La ilaha illallah, a person will go to paradise. Yes, it is true, the Prophet ﷺ did say that whoever's last words are La ilaha illallah, he will enter into paradise. This is true. However, did the Prophet ﷺ just mean that if you just say these words on one tongue without actually believing in them or without actually achieving them that this is, will be given to you? Of course not, if we look at the Qur'an and Sunnah and study it well. And this reminds me of this misconception of a story which I often relate at this times like these, of a uh, professor who we had in the Washington DC area, a college professor, mathematics professor. And because he wanted to make sure that his students would all make it to paradise, he would start off the beginning of each semester uh, by telling them uh, say la, and all the kids in the class would say la, say ilaha, they would all say say ilaha, say illa, they would all say illa, say Allah, they would all say Allah, he said okay, That's, I, they're all going to go to paradise, and he would just go on teaching mathematics for the rest of This shows that the person uh, didn't understand what was the meaning of the words of the Prophet that whoever says La ilaha illallah will enter into paradise. I mean, it doesn't just mean just to say these words on one's tongue, but rather there are certain conditions that must be fulfilled uh, in order for the statement to benefit the one who speaks it. Uh, these conditions have been taken uh, from the Book of Allah and from the Sunnah of the Prophet The most important condition is knowledge of its meaning, of its meaning, because in the end it's a testimony. And every testimony, whenever you testify or you bear witness to something, you must know what it means. We understand this. Uh, indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has pointed this out in the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Know that there is none worthy of worship but Allah. So the first condition that one must fulfill regarding this statement is that one must understand its meaning. What does it mean when you say La ilaha illallah? 
Uh, many Muslims think that it means only that Allah is the creator, or that there is only one God, and this is all true. There is only one God, Allah is the only creator, there is no other creator besides him. But is this the meaning of this statement? It's not. The statement means these matters, but also has a more, uh, another matter which it implies or it, it means, and that is that only Allah is to be worshipped. Only Allah is to be worshipped. Because the word ilah in the Arabic language is an object. You know, uh, words in, in, in almost any language are subjects and objects. And the word ilah is an object. And it means the one who is worshipped. Irrespective of that object which is worshipped is a true or a false object of worship. So for instance, we can say in the Arabic language that the cross is an ilah. Because the cross is worshipped by the Christians. They deify the cross, or at least some sects of them do. Uh, you can say that the uh, Hindu idol is an ilah. Because uh, the Hindus worship that idol and will and preach it and will offer it vowings and offerings and so forth. Uh, and so therefore, uh, you can say that those prophets which are worshipped, like Jesus, the son of Mary, is also an ilah, because people worship them. And that's why Allah in the Qur'an mentions at the end of Surah Al-Ma'idah that he will ask Isa ibn Maryam on the Day of Judgment, even though Allah knows the truth of the matter, because Allah knows all things, but he will ask him in order to rebuke, rebuke the Christians. Oh, Isa, did you tell humanity to take me and my mother as two ilah? instead of Allah. So, the point is the word ilaha means whatever is worshipped. So when you say la ilaha, you are saying that there is none to be worshipped. In Allah, except for Allah. It means more than you're saying that there is no creator but Allah, or that Allah is the only one, is only one God. That's true. But the meaning of this testimony is that there is none to be worshipped but Allah. And the reason why is because many people who recognize that there's only one God, who recognize that Allah, this one uh, God, Allah is the creator of everything, but yet when it comes to worship, they will take between them and Allah intermediaries, upon whom they will invoke and pray to, thinking that these intermediaries will then take their prayers unto Allah. And this is what the pagan Arabs used to do in Mecca, those whom the Prophet ﷺ was sent to. Allah tells us in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Zumar, that, that they used to say, the pagan Arabs, مَا نَعْبُدُهُمْ إِلَّا إِلَى اللَّهِ That we would not worship these objects that they had around the Kaaba, only because we thought that they would draw us closer to Allah. So their intention was to draw closer to Allah, the creator of the heavens and the earth. They knew uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was the creator, that he created everything. But they felt that if they would call upon these righteous people, who they made idols of, that these righteous people would then pray on their behalf to Allah and that would draw them closer to Allah. Because their argument was, well, we're sinful. And since we're sinful, 
we cannot draw close to Allah directly. So we need somebody to pray for us. This was their ship. At least to call upon these dead people. For instance, Allah, which was an idol of the Arabs, and which is mentioned in the Quran, was originally a man who used to feed the people during the time of Hajj. He was a man who used to feed the people during the time of Hajj. And when he died, the people uh, took the rock in which he used to sit on uh, as a place where they started to worship him. I mean, of course, after some time had passed. And indeed, this is how shirk, or the worship of others with Allah, occurred among the children of Adam. Because we all know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam, and Adam was a prophet, and Allah spoke to him. So Adam only worshipped Allah. And Ibn Abbas, one of the Prophet's companions, tells us, as reported in Sahih al-Bukhari, that this worshipping of Allah alone remained among humanity for ten generations. Ten generations, the first ten generations of human beings, worshipped Allah alone. There was no shirk, no worshipping of others with Allah. What happened was, there were some righteous people in the tenth generation. These people have been mentioned in the Qur'an. Wajd, Suwa', Yavuq, Ya'uq, and Nas. And when these righteous people died, Ibn Abbas tells us, the Prophet's companion, the people who lived were affected by their death. So they thought, Satan came to them in the form of a human being and said, why don't you make images of these people and place them in the areas where they used to gather. So when you would see this image, you would remember Allah. I mean, you would see the picture of this person, the image, and then you would remember this person, how he used to worship Allah, and this would help you remember Allah. This is the same idea they have when they have statues now. I mean, if you go to public parks, I, I don't know if this is the same thing in, in Toronto, but at least we have in Washington, D.C., in every public park or in every circle, you know, you find a statue there. And the reason why is they put it in these prominent places, so the idea is that the people would remember this general or this president or this statesman or this poet, and then they would emulate his good deeds. I mean, this is the idea of putting these statues. So they thought the same thing. They said, let's put these images in order to emulate their good deeds, their worship of Allah. Until when that generation passed, and some long time passed, and knowledge as to why those statues were built, were forgotten, Satan came again in the form of a human being, and said to them, do you know what those statues were for? Why your forefathers built them? The people said no. Even though a long time had passed. And then Ibn Abbas tells us that Satan told them, well, your forefathers used to seek intercession through them. Used to worship Allah through them. So they began to commit shirk. And Allah sent them the first messenger to humanity, the Prophet Noah, to call humanity not to worship me. As we know from the Quran, the Prophet Noah, for 950 years, gave da'wah just to this issue, stop worshiping others with Allah. Until when the Prophet Noah, alayhi salam, felt that there was no hope, he prayed to Allah that Allah destroy all of humanity, all the unbelievers. And Allah destroyed all of humanity except for those few believers who were with him in the ark. And the rest of humanity was destroyed. 
And for this reason, I mean, Noah is like the second Adam to humanity. And he says all of us are descendants of Adam. I mean, all of us. I mean, my brother Amir and myself and all of us. If we go back, you know, generation, we all come eventually, we'll have one mother and father, right, Adam. And likewise, we have also another father which is common to us all, the prophet Noah, because Allah made only his descendants the survivors of the great flood, the deluge. The point is, is that, uh, that this is how shirk began. So the meaning of La ilaha Allah, the pagan Arabs used to worship in the time of the Prophet Muhammad these deities in order to draw themselves closer to Allah. They used to not think that these deities, these idols which they made by their own very hands, created them. But rather they were images, the representation of righteous people. So they felt that by calling upon them that these righteous people would call upon Allah for them. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes them in Surah Yusuf. He says, وَمَا يُؤْمِنْ أَكْثَرُهُمْ بِاللَّهِ إِلَّا وَهُمْ مُشْرِكُونَ That most of them do not believe in Allah, so they believe in Allah, except that they are mushriks, they are committing shirk with Allah. So Allah in, uh, said they have iman in Him, in the sense that they believe that He is a creator, the sustainer, the giver of life and death, but they committed shirk by worshipping others as intermediaries between them and Allah. And this is what the Prophet Muhammad came to remove, and this is what the shirk is in the world. If you go to any Catholic church uh, in Toronto and go in there and ask the priest when you see they have a picture of Mary or a picture of some sort of saint or some sort of cross, ask him, do you believe that this uh, picture created you and gives you life and death? He say, of course not. He knows that this didn't create him, the picture, or give him life and death, or bring him any benefits. He said, why do you call upon it. I mean, why do you stand in front of the picture of Mary or the idol of Jesus, you know, and uh, that piece of wood or plastic or metal and with your rosary beads and start saying, you know, praising them and asking them to intercede for you or to give you something. Why? They say, well, this is just a representation to make us remember them. And we're actually calling upon them to do it because they will then go to, of course, the Christians will say the Father, which they mean, I mean, the Rabbul Alameen when they say the Father, uh, to ask him to for us on our behalf. This is the shift. So, what it is is that, going back to the point is that, La ilaha Allah is not just only a statement on the tongue. And, it has conditions. The first is knowledge. The second is certainty. In the sense that, one is certain what it means. You know, sometimes a person might have doubts. Is this true or is this false? And with this, you have to have truly believe that only Allah is to be worshipped and none else besides Him. Uh, the third condition is acceptance. Uh, in the sense that you accept whoever calls you to this. Not like the pagan Arabs, who as Allah describes in the sort of Sa'ad, in the uh, 38th surah of the Qur'an, where the qila lahum la ilaha illallah is they said to them, you know, say La ilaha Allah, that there is none worthy of worship but Allah. They become proud. Alright. Uh, also, another condition is truthfulness. That when you say this testimony, that you're truthful. Just like when you go to court and you, you give a testimony that you saw an accident or some sort of uh, crime you witnessed, you're taking an oath that you will speak the truth and nothing but the truth. That's what the oath is, at least in America, that you 
do you swear to say the truth and nothing but the truth to help you God? And you say, I do. This is a testimony. So likewise, when you say the testimony, La ilaha illallah, among the conditions is that one is truthful in his speaking. I mean, he's not saying La ilaha illallah, but in his heart he believes that some saint is going to be able to help them, or some prophet, or some sort of angel, or some sort of rock, or tree, or anything else. But rather he believes that only Allah is to be worshipped. And, and this is why the Prophet said, Man qala la ilaha illallah, sadiqan min qalbihi. That whoever says la ilaha illallah truthfully from his heart, uh, Allah will protect him from the hellfire. Uh, and the uh, fifth condition is that one must give all worship to Allah, not worship anything else. And the sixth condition is that one must, uh, that the statement la ilaha illallah, one must fulfill the acts of worship. I mean, among which is prayer and fasting and charity and hajj and jihad and being kind to one's parents and being kind to one's neighbors and speaking truthfully and love of Allah and fear of Allah. These are all aspects of the statement, you know, implications that one must fulfill them. This is part of our testimony, la ilaha illallah. And the seventh condition is that we must love it. Because if one hates Allah or hates the fact that only Allah is to be worshipped, obviously his testimony is not of any benefit to him. Now, that was just a brief introduction. The, the topic which we have before us uh, is that we are to discuss those matters which take a person outside of the fold of Islam. In other words, you might say, La ilaha Allah, but you might leave Islam. Just like a person might make wudu, be in a state of ablution, right? And then he might do a certain act which would nullify his ablution. Is wudu, and he has to remake it again. We all understand that. I mean, for instance, you make wudu, you go to the bathroom, alright, then you have to make wudu again because your ablution now has been broken. The same thing with this testimony. There are certain acts, there are certain statements, there are certain uh, beliefs that if you hold them, it negates the statements. And so therefore, your testimony is no longer valid. You become an unbeliever. And you would have to repeat your testimony again and re-enter into the fold of Islam. And this is what is known in the Arabic language as ridda, apostasy. And Allah talks about it in the Quran. Allah says that, Oh, you who believe whoever turns back from his religion, may yartadda minkum uh, So the, the point is, is that there are certain matters, and these matters are very many. So let us just, since we have, the time is uh, somewhat short, I want to have an opportunity that you can ask questions. Uh, let us just take some of these matters uh, very quickly and then open the floor for any questions the brothers and sisters might have. The first uh, matter which negates the statement is committing an act of shirk. And we know that shirk is the sin which Allah will not forgive. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إن الله لا يغفر أن يشرك به ويغفر ما دون ذلك لمن يشاء. Allah does not forgive the sin of committing shirk with him, but he forgives any other sin to whomever he pleases. And the meaning of this verse is the person who dies in a state of shirk without being repentant of shirk. If a Christian, for instance, Christians they commit shirk, they worship Isa, they worship Mary if they're Catholic, wants to become a Muslim, he's repented from that shirk. So this sin is not any longer upon him. But if somebody is to die calling upon somebody other than Allah, worshiping other than Allah, then this verse applies to him. 
that whoever commits uh, Allah will not forgive the sin of shirk or he will forgive any other sin to whom he pleases, meaning any other sin which has not been repented from. Not to anybody, but to whomever he pleases. So the murderer who doesn't repent from the sin of murder, on the day of judgment, he is in a position where Allah might forgive him on the day of judgment out of his mercy. Forgive him. And he'll go to paradise. Or Allah might punish him. And the murderer will go to hell. The thief who does not repent from fever, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might forgive him for that sin. Or Allah might punish him and consign him to hell. Likewise, the adulterer, the liar, and, and, and all the different sins that there are. Except for the sin of shirk. Except for the sin of shirk, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not forgive under any circumstance. If a person died in a state of shirk, calling or worshipping other than Allah. And this is why um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in another verse, إِنَّهُ مَا يُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ الْجَنَّةِ وَمَأْوَاهُ النَّارِ وَمَا لِلْظَانِمِينَ مِنْ أَنصَارِ That he who commits shirk with Allah, Allah has forbidden paradise for him. And his uh, destiny or his abode will be the hellfire and the ones who have caused injustice to themselves, meaning the people who commit shirk, will have none to assist them. And we can see this in two examples of the two best people of humanity. The Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and the Prophet Abraham The Prophet Muhammad وسلم, I think we might have heard all of us yesterday when uh, Dr. Bilal Qulas uh, discussed the issue of the Prophet's uncle Abu Talib. Abu Talib knew the Prophet وسلم, to be truly the Prophet of Allah. And he believed in him in the sense that he recognized that this is the Prophet of Allah, but yet refused to take his testimony that there is none worthy of worship but Allah. In the sense that he didn't want to go against the, the practice, the customs of his forefathers. Even though inwardly he knew that the customs of his forefathers were false. And that what the Prophet Muhammad brought was true. And he defended the Prophet Muhammad and protected him. And if it were not for Allah then Abu Talib, Islam wouldn't have had spread in such a way because the Prophet when he was in Mecca he had no one to protect him except for Abu Talib who protected him not out of believing in his message in the sense that he is accepted and become one of his followers but protected the Prophet in the sense that he was the Prophet's uncle and so therefore as a tribal reason he wanted to protect the Prophet the Prophet had another uncle Al-Abbas and Al-Abbas believed in the Prophet Muhammad just like the Prophet's other uncle, Hamza, believed in the Prophet and died in the battle of Uhud. Al-Abbas believed in the Prophet and one day uh, we find a hadith where Al-Abbas asked the Prophet Muhammad were you able to benefit uh, Abu Talib in any way? Were you able to benefit Abu Talib in any way? Uh, for those of you who don't know, Abu Talib is the father of Ali. So we say Ali ibn Abi Talib, the son of Abu Talib. Uh, and, and, and the Prophet said, the only thing which I was able to do is I, I prayed to Allah. So Allah took him from the deepest part of the hellfire to the most shallowest part. And that on the day of judgment, one hadith says that he will have two uh, sandals, two sandals. Another hadith will say he will have two embers underneath his feet, which will burn him. And his and he, he will his brain will boil like the boiling water 
you know, in a, in a big pot. And he will think that he's the most severely tormented person uh, in the hellfire. So here is Abu Talib, a person who defended the religion of Islam, who saw the Prophet Muhammad and knew the truth of his message, and gave all that he had from strength and energy and money and position and status to defend the religion of Islam. But yet, the Prophet was not able to bring him into paradise. Because he died in shirk. All the Prophet was able to do by praying to Allah is reduce his torment. Because just like paradise's degrees and grades, so forth is the hellfire. The hellfire is also degrees and punishment. And there's a shallow punishment and there's a very deep punishment. And that's why Allah says about, for instance, Pharaoh and his followers that on the day of judgment, into them, Allah will send the angels into the deepest or the most severe f- part of the fire. Because Pharaoh will claim that he was Allah. So his sin is greater than, for instance, the sin of a person who worships other than Allah. The person who worships other than Allah has committed shirk. But the person who says that he is Allah himself, that he's Abu al-Alameen, his sin is even greater. The point is, is that the Prophet was not able to help Abu Talib. We also find the hadith in Bukhari regarding Ibrahim السلام, the Prophet Abraham and his father. The Prophet tells us that on the day of judgment, Abraham's father, Azar, will come to Abraham and say, Today, I will not disobey you. You know, Allah tells us in the Quran that Ibrahim told his father in this world, My father, do not disobey me. In other words, believe in my message. I may prophet from Allah. Only worship Allah alone. Because I fear for you. So, of course, Abraham's father did not believe in his son's message and was against him. So on the day of judgment, Abraham's father, Azar, when he comes out of his grave with the rest of humanity and everybody will realize that this is true, what the prophets were saying, he will feel that this is a, he's, in a, he's in a situation where he needs. So he shall say to his son, Ibrahim, today I will not disobey you. So Ibrahim will pray to Allah. This is what the Prophet is telling us. This is from the matter of the unseen that the Prophet has informed us because Allah has revealed this to him. So Ibrahim will pray to Allah and will say, Oh Allah, you promised me that you will not humiliate me on this day. And what greater humiliation is it for me that my father would be in the hellfire? What did Allah say to, what did Allah say to the Prophet Ibrahim salam? Ibrahim, I have, well, you know that I have forbidden paradise for the unbelievers, for the mushrikeen. Look below you, and he will see that his father will be uh, transformed into a lizard with two horns, and it will be taken bleeding into the hellfire. So, the point is, is that shirk is a sin which Allah does not forgive. And no matter what person's relationship, even if he's the father of a prophet, or the son of a prophet, or the wife of a prophet, or the uncle of a prophet, or from a, the descendants of the prophet, or his father was a sheikh, or an imam of a masjid, or whatever, this is not going to benefit you anything if you do not have the faith. And there are many forms of shirk that we should be aware of, that are common, that Muslims practice, which are common, and at the same time, negate this statement of Tawheed. And the person who practices needs to repent from them. And needs to worship Allah alone. Among which is making dua to other than Allah. 
وقف القرآن المساجد إن المساجد الله فلا تدعو مع الله أحدا وإن المساجد الله فلا تدعو مع الله أحدا that the mosque the places of worship belong only to Allah so do not call upon any other besides Allah any other without exception be it an angel be it a prophet be it a righteous man what do you find? you find now that some Muslims during times of despair will call upon other human beings they will say oh you know Ali for instance or oh Abdul Qadir Jilani or oh Saint Shaykh you know so and so or oh Prophet Muhammad come assist me come help me this is all shirk and this negates their statement la ilaha illallah that none is to be worshipped but Allah and this is a very dangerous sin that if they are not repent, if they are not repentant from it, uh, they could be consigned in the hellfire for all eternity with the Jew and the Christian and the Hindu and the Buddhist. Because they have not achieved the statement of Sahih. Among the acts of shirk is to slaughter to other than Allah. Sometimes people will uh, take a sheep or a cow or a camel or whatever and will slaughter it in the name of some saint or at the grave site of some saint this is all shirk because as we I'm sure all of us have memorized or maybe most of us have memorized so we told them what does Allah say فَصَلِّ لِرَبِّكَ وَنْحَرْ pray to your Lord alone and slaughter to him alone and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says قُلْ إِنَّ الصَّلَاةِ وَنُسُكِ وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَا say to them Muhammad sallallahu that my prayer and my sacrifice and my life and my death belong only to Allah he has no partner and the Prophet has said in Sahih Muslim as reported in Sahih Muslim لَعَنَ اللَّهُ مَنْ ذَبَحَ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ Allah will curse he who our immune system is weak he cannot make qurbani uh, to uh, a saint or to a righteous man or so no when you slaughter it should only be Azawajal just like du'a, we make du'a only to Allah. Likewise, when you bow, the poor, who's the one decrees that your, your, your immune system is sometimes strong and sometimes weak? It's Allah Azawajal. So in the end, the benefit and the harm only comes from Allah Azawajal. But if you think that there's some sort of other source, or some sort of uh, power, and that's why if you wear an amulet, for instance, or somebody takes for you some sort of, uh, you know, you come to some sort of, uh, what they, they call, quote-unquote, sheikh, it's not really a sheikh, but the shaykhan, and he writes for you some sort of scribbles for you some sort of thing which you don't know about in leather and he folds it for you and ties it and says wear it around your neck and you will be protected this is all shit because that piece of leather can't help you can't protect you and that writing which he's scribbling upon most of the times if you break those amulets you will find some strange things I mean I've even seen uh, amulets that people have had on them that were cut from them and when you open up you find pictures of different devils that they try to draw or satanic words or satanic phrases uh, this is all shirk because these people are in league uh, with the devils a second matter which negates uh, the testimony of faith is to deny uh, the finality of the prophethood of the prophet Muhammad we know that our testimony of faith la ilaha Allah has also a second half that Muhammad is a messenger of Allah and Muhammad the Messenger of Allah means in general four matters that we believe in what he says because he doesn't speak from his own desire whatever he tells us the Prophet is from revelation which has been sent to him 
And likewise, it means that we obey Him in what He commands us. Say, obey Allah and obey the Messenger. Allah has linked obedience to the Messenger with obedience to Allah Azzawajal. Because the Messenger, وسلم, is coming with that which Allah has revealed to him. So when he commands us to do something, it's because Allah has commanded us to do But instead of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioning that via the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed that and the Prophet وسلم, has expressed it in his own words in the Sunnah. Likewise, that we leave that which the Prophet has forbidden us. And that we worship Allah according to the way of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu And part of that is that we must also believe that the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu is the last Prophet. Indeed, the Prophet Sallallahu has said that before the Day of Judgment there will be 30 liars. One hadith is 40. All of them who will claim that I'm a Prophet and there's no Prophet after me. And you know, we find in North America there are about three groups that you could say who believe in a Prophet after the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu you have the Iqadiyani, the Ahmadis, who say Ghulam Ahmed is a prophet after the Prophet Muhammad You have the nation of Islam, the followers of Louis Farrakhan, who believe that Elijah Muhammad is a prophet after the Prophet Muhammad And you have the last one was Rashad Khalifa of Tucson, Arizona, who came with the idea that the Quran was based on a, a number 19, you know, which was really a hoax. Uh, and he also claimed that he was a messenger sent by Allah. Now likewise, part which negates the statement La uh, Allah and makes a person's uh, statement invalid is that if you deny the binding nature of the Sunnah of the Prophet I mean, if you believe that Islam is only the Quran and that you do not accept Hadith, this negates your statement. Because Allah in the Quran tells us that it's from the duty of the Prophet to teach us the Kitab and the Hikmah, the Book and the Wisdom. Allah says in Surah Al-Jumu'ah that it is he who has sent among the illiterates, means the pagan Arabs, because the pagan Arabs were illiterate people and they had no scripture before the Prophet Muhammad A messenger from themselves, meaning he was from them, they recognized his lineage, they recognized, you know, who he was. He, uh, Recite unto them his verses, Allah's verses. He tells them that Allah has said to you such and such, the Quran. Will you him? He purifies them from their sin. Will you And he teaches them the book and the wisdom. The book meaning the Quran and the wisdom is the sunnah of the Prophet. And likewise, the Prophet said, I have left you with two things. They will never separate until they come back to me as an owl at his. A uh, basin of water which will be given to him on the day of judgment. The book of the law and my sunnah. And likewise the Prophet said, I have left amongst you two things. You will never go astray so long as you hold on to them. The book of the law and my sunnah. So the book of the, the sunnah is the explanation of the Quran. Whether the explanation comes by word of the Prophet's words, or by his deeds, or by his tacit approvals. So to say that Islam is only the Qur'an and that you reject hadith, this makes you a person who has negated his statement of faith. I likewise to judge by others than the Sharia of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu In other words, if somebody says that politics is not part of religion, that Islam is only in the mosque. But outside of the mosque, this is we're going to run the affairs according to our own way. This throws you out of Islam. 
Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in his Quran, Salah wa Rabbika la yu'minuna hatta yuhatimuka fima shajara baynahum. Allah swears by himself. He says, no. By your Lord Muhammad. They will never believe until they judge you in that which they dispute amongst themselves. So all worldly disputes, whether dealing with matters of marriage and divorce, whether dealing with matters of uh, uh, international affairs, whether dealing with uh, matters of commerce and trade and economics and so forth, must be referred back to the law that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent to humanity to live by. And so whoever says that, no, that uh, I do not accept the Sharia, or that the Sharia is barbaric, how can we at the end of the 20th century and at the uh, threshold of the, a new millennium cut the hand of a thief or something like that? This person has left the fold of Islam. Even if he says, La ilaha wa. Uh, Likewise, uh, to ridicule any aspect of Islam. In other words, to make fun of anything that is from Islam or from its rewards or from its punishments. You know, sometimes people, they do it in play, they make jokes about the religion. But this is a very serious matter because Allah tells us in the Quran of a people who, during jihad, when they were on the battlefield, were making jokes. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to them, are you making jokes concerning Allah and his ayat and his, his, his verses and his messenger? لا تعتذروا Do not make excuses for yourself. And say that we were just joking and playing around. You have disbelief. So, the point is, is that whoever uh, makes jokes or, you know, ridicules or mocks the religion of Islam or its rewards or its punishments has disbelief. Likewise, uh, among the matters that lead um, to nullify one's testimony of faith is to hate any aspect of Islam. And if somebody says, well, you know, I, I love Islam, it's, it's a great religion, I, just, I hate the fact that a man can marry four women, for instance. Or, you know, I hate the fact that it, it, it declares non-Muslims as unbelievers. Or I hate the fact that, you know, you have to slaughter an animal at hedge time. I, I believe we should only eat vegetables. We shouldn't be harming animals by slaughtering them and killing them. To hate any aspect of Islam leads to unbelief. Whatever that aspect is. Uh, that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Muhammad, أَذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ تَرِهُوا مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهِ فَأَحْبَطَ أَعْمَالَهُمْ That is because Allah tells about the unbelievers, they hated what Allah has sent down. So Allah nullified their deeds. So if your deeds are nullified, then these are not accepted by Allah, this is because you're an unbeliever. Because only the believer's deeds uh, will be accepted. Uh, likewise, uh, among the matters that is prominent among people and, and often seen, uh, which negates your testimony of faith is to engage or become pleased in any act of sorcery, of sihr, and also uh, what is related to that, from a tahana, like palm tree, or uh, having you know uh, reading tea leaves, or reading a coffee cup, or reading somebody's palm, or astrology, saying that the stars affect, and so forth. This is all shit. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about the two angels that were sent to Babylon and who taught people sorcery. That the angels would tell the people before they taught anybody sorcery, like how to make a man and a woman averse towards a husband and wife averse towards one another. That we are a fitna, a trial for you. 
So do not disbelieve, meaning by learning sorcery from us. But the people, the Babylonians, I mean, wanted to have this skill, so they went ahead and learned it. They could care less about their faith. So the point is, is that whoever does this, and that is because a person cannot uh, engage in these matters, whether fortune-telling or so, unless he is in league with the devils. By, and what happens is that these people, they will worship the different devils, the jinns, and we know that the jinns are not like the human beings. They have certain abilities, which we do not have. And so therefore, by worshipping them, the jinns will then uh, be in their service, and each of them gets what they are looking for. Uh, the eighth matter is that, which negates one's testimony of faith, is to believe uh, that uh, one may, doesn't have to follow the religion of Islam only to go to paradise. That you can follow, for instance, you can say, well, it doesn't really matter whether you're a Jew or a Christian or a Muslim, as long as you're good in life. As long as you've got good characters or good behavior, you'll make it to paradise. This is unbelief. You know, the Quran says, inna deena inda lahi islam. The religion was Allah Islam. And Allah says, That whoever seeks a religion other than Islam, it will not be accepted from him. And in the hereafter, he will be among the losers. And the meaning of the word Islam in these two verses is that general Islam. Meaning the religion the prophets came with. So the prophet Moses, he came with Islam. And the prophet Jesus, Islam, came with Islam. But when those people changed their messages, that became no longer Islam. It became whatever it became. And likewise, when the Jews disbelieved in their final prophet sent to the children of Israel, Jesus, their faith no longer benefited them, even if they were upon, let's imagine, upon the same religion that Moses came with. And likewise, when the Jews and the Christians rejected the belief in the Prophet Muhammad, their previous faith did not benefit them anything. Even if we were to imagine that they were on the same faith that they are on, that their prophets came with. The point is, is that there is only one way after the sending of the Prophet Muhammad to go to paradise, and that is the worship of Islam. And this is why the Prophet said in a hadith reported by Abu Huraira and collected by Imam Muslim in his Sahih Muslim, uh, that there is not a single Jew or Christian from this Ummah. What did he mean by from this Ummah? The Prophet said Jew or Christian from this Ummah, meaning those Jews and Christians who lived from his time until the Day of Judgment, because they're all from his Ummah. They're all people to whom the Prophet was sent to give da'wah to, who hears about me and does not believe in me except that he is from the hellfire. So any Jew or Christian who has lived after the sending of the Prophet Muhammad and hears about the Prophet Muhammad in other words, he knows knowledge, I mean, it's been told to him that there's a man, his name was Muhammad he came, he's a final prophet, it's upon you to believe in him, and yet rejects it, he will be in the hellfire. And since the Prophet gave the example of the Jews and Christians, who are people who have a scripture, and who identify themselves as prophets, that it means that this is more applicable to those people who have no scripture, and are pagans like Hindus and Buddhists and Animists and Confucius and so forth. Uh, the final uh, matter which uh, I'll mention, uh, which leads a person or nullifies his testimony of faith, uh, is to turn away from Islam by not learning it or acting upon it. By not learning it or acting upon it. Uh, how is that? Well, you know, sometimes you'll find a person that, you know, even though he says he's a Muslim, his whole life he'll never pray. And he'll have no time to learn not even the most simplest matters of his religion. Uh, this type of person, who even though he dominantly identifies himself, but he has turns away in totality from Islam, he's an unbeliever. 
he's an unbeliever and he has nullified his testimony. This is different than the person, for instance, who tries to practice Islam, but, you know, falls short. This person is a sinner, in the sense that, you know, he prays uh, and he tries to do the deeds of Islam, but sometimes his desires overcome him and so forth. This person is a sinner, he needs to repent from his sins. If he does not repent and dies in that state, he's underneath Allah's judgment. Allah will either forgive him or Allah will punish him in the hellfire. But eventually he'll make it to paradise if he died on Tawheed. But the one who turns away from Islam in totality, and neither learning it or acting upon it, he is considered to be an apostate and unbeliever. Alright, with that I believe we've come to the, uh, the end of the lecture and we have about 15 minutes for some questions. And that was just a brief review of the matters that negate our testimony of faith. I'd like to conclude by saying that the matters which negate the testimony of faith, some scholars have listed close to 400 matters. And I only mentioned about eight or nine. These are like the more prevalent matters which are found amongst Muslims today. So it's important that a Muslim takes heed of them and cautions uh, uh, others regarding these matters so that we truly apply this testimony of faith and do not fall and slide back into apostasy and unbelief after Allah has saved us from that. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.